bag as a sole, uh, you're a pound of butter. I love butter, right? You're a pound of butter. And as a sole, you, you are a pound of butter. And beautiful, lovely, yellow, crisp lines, completely unblemished. And the samskar, um, if you push your handprint into the pound of butter, you get an, uh, an imprint, you get an um, impression. And so then when somebody looks at the pound of butter and you say, what do you see? Few people will say, I see a pound of butter. They will see, say, I see an, a hand imprint. And so that's what people are seeing in you. That's what people are seeing in me. They're not, they don't see the soul. They don't see the pound of butter. They see the imprint that has been identified with. They see the samskara that has been identified with, and they call that you. Welcome to the Solace and Shine podcast. This podcast is part of an online community at solaceandshine.ca. It is a platform for those yearning to remember their true purpose. We are coming to you from Ishtadev Niwas Ashram in the Purcell Mountains of beautiful British Columbia, Canada, within the unceded territory of the Tanaha Nation. The Solace and Shine podcast dives into teachings from the soul's ancestral roots. The teachings are here so that we may embrace the human experience and live it with beauty, courage, and creativity. These teachings will make you want to lean in and shine wholeheartedly together in community. Allow me to introduce to you our host and guide, Sanyasi Shivani. Shivani has worked as a medium and a spiritual teacher for the last 20 plus years. Through her dedicated practice as a renunciant and a teacher of yoga, she guides community through all aspects of living and embodying spirit through foundations of love, service, yoga ecology, and elevated esoteric teachings. Are you ready to embody your light? Welcome to the Solace and Shine podcast. Hello, this is Chai, a longtime student of Ishtadev Niwas, and I find it so intriguing, all the secrets of the teachings of yoga that help us to understand how to drive this human vehicle. Like Sanyasi Shivani said, our soul is like a pound of pure unmarked butter, and our samskaras are a handprint in that pound of butter. So what is a samskara? After listening to this lecture, I'm seeing that samskaras are a deep-seated unconscious memory that make up the whole personality we've been given for this specific human vehicle. Understanding this makes the whole experience a little less personal for me, and to me it gives us a little distance to witness from so we can observe and adjust. Then comes the vasanas, which is when we take the belief in the samskara as truth and unconsciously behave in ways that would create and recreate the circumstances to prove that the samskara to be true. And then there you have it. That's the cycle of samskara. In our impulse to prove the samskaras to be true, we create more karma to be worked through in the future. And uh, sadly, in this process, we don't see each other for who we really are, which is pure consciousness. We see the samskaras that the other has identified with. What is really cool is because we are so deeply connected as this one big organism, 
we will often try to mold into each other's samskaras and vasanas to see if the pattern or memory fits for us. We are such cute and interesting creatures, us humans. So how do we break free of this? With yogic practices such as asana, pranayam, dharana, and spiritual journaling. We start to see our samskaras, feel our vasanas, and if you are in ashram, it is a whole lot easier to see these and then to have enough discernment to choose differently. Once we start to recognize these samskaras, we then have a chance to stop acting out the vasanas, and there you have it. We have purified just a little bit more, and that makes more room for the purity of our spirit to drive the human vehicle. So, happy samskara discernment to you all. Enjoy! This week's lecture uh, is on um, samskaras and vasanas. Samskaras are the aspect of um, our reality that is the impressions. So, when we have the kosher system, kosher system, not kosher system, that's a whole different thing. Uh, when we have the, the kosher system, um, Anandamaya Kosha is um, is the, uh, the the pure bliss, the you at your absolute purity, clarity, um, no uh, no karmas, right? Who you are beyond karma. And then Vijnanamaya Kosha is the home of the karmas. And the karmas are frequencies that distort uh, the, like the pure flame. So if you think of like, so you have like one of the chakras, say Anahat chakra, for example, is like this pure green frequency and ripples of grief kind of like distort it a little bit so that it's not not quite in the same frequency as it used to be. It has like a, a, a tinge or a frequency. If you were thinking of it in terms of color, it'd be like a tiny bit like of a darker green in amongst the pure green. And so then that distorts it. Or if you think of sound, it's like a sound wave hitting another sound wave and, and sort of bending the sound. And and that is what Vigyanamaya Kosha is. It's these, these um, filters or these distortions that um, interact with the purity of who we are and then these 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 new frequencies these distorted frequencies hit the mind and the mind creates a belief of them for example um, you say okay this is the frequency of love of anahat and this is the frequency of love and so you experience love but then there's these frequencies of attachment or grief that have distorted what love actually is and so then the distortion is actually what you identify as love and then you act on that belief that this is love and then we and we get into these these patterns and this is where the stories come in of like that attachment is love and uh, holding on to the past is love uh, and so and then we behave accordingly we behave with attachment thinking we're behaving in love and so a samskara is the impression the impression 
that that distortion makes on the purity that we have identified with. And this is the key. If there is no identification, there is no samskara. There may still be karma that needs to be identified, that, that, no, not identified, that needs to be worked through. But if there's no identification, then there's no, there's no mutation that is identified with. So if you think of like the pure love is A, and the distortion or grief and attachment is B, then what, when you join those two together, you get C, and it's C that we identify with and create a belief of like, well, this is love, C is love, and it's like, well, actually, no, A is love, and then B is the attachment and the grief, and in your direct experience of attachment and grief superimposed onto what love is, you've now decided that it's C, and when there's no identification with C, and there is discernment between A and B, then there is you can still experience B, but there's no karmas that are created out of it because there's no identification with imposing it. So the samskars actually come through Swadhisthana Chakra, at the hips, the uterus, pan, uh, prostate, um, bladder, uh, emotional body, you have the right to feel emotions. Um, the actual emotions that are connected to Swadhisthan is uh, guilt, which is of course when you feel like you've done something wrong, um, and sadness. The fundamental belief that you are unlovable uh, comes with Swadhisthan, and um, innate joy. Joy for absolutely no reason. Joy because that is actually the innate frequency of your being is just joy and so the, this is where the samskaras come through so those vas uh, so those vigyanamaya kosha those karmas those impressions those equations of a plus b equals c come actually come through um our reality into the third dimension through swadastan and those are the samskaras and so those are the impressions. The impressions are the C. When we have taken something that's pure and we have identified with the distortion, and then what comes out of that is actually the samskara. And so then what happens is the samskara is this belief that the impression is truth, not reality, but truth. And the vasana is when we take that impression, that samskara, as truth, and we behave in a way that tries to prove it to be true. Um, sort of an example of like, uh, um, you know, there, there are patterns in, in relationships where you know, if a, this is just an example where if, if a woman is distrusting um, of her partner uh, because in the past she's had partners cheat on her. And so she comes into this new relationship where she uh, thinks that this new man is absolutely God's gift because they all are. And, um, and you're trying to, and, and you, 
you want to have this relationship and this relationship's going to be different and this relationship's going to be new and it's not going to be like the, the last the last guy and blah 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 but the pro challenge is is that if she has identified the fundamental belief that she's not worthy of integrity or worthy of sovereignty or worthy of um, uh, fidelity, if that is what the agreement is within that relationship, um, then her behaviors will, on a frequency level, create the situations for distrust to come through. And when distrust comes through, both partners are seeking that trust, that, that foundation. Um, and of course, the natural thing is you try and seek it in the other person. The right action is actually to just seek it in yourself. But in that distrust, then the other person starts to want to feel that trust. And they may not even realize that there may not be any outward signs. It's purely on a vibrational level. And then that person... Uh, tries to find it in someone else. And then that that woman is like, see, told you, I told you he would do it. I knew it's just like all men, you know, like the story, all men or something. And so the vasana of the behavior of distrust actually creates the scenario for the distrust to be, um, to be actualized, you know? And so, that is because of the fundamental understanding that the frequencies we have identified with inside of ourselves are what we are putting out into the world and then that is what get mir gets mirrored back to us. So every time we have a situation where we don't enjoy the fruits of it, we have to um, take an understanding and, a, and an awareness that our identification with the pattern, our identification with the frequency as being truth actually creates the, the, the stage for that to play out. And if we believe it to be true, we will unconsciously, unconsciously, Please, here, it is unconscious. It is not a, it is not a perpetrator victim blame game, okay? This is just, it's an unconscious understanding that we will behave in certain ways that will create those circumstances to prove that to be true. And then, of course, when it is actualized, then we hold on to it even tighter. Let's see, it's the truth, you know? A flame is hot. What do you want to do? You want to touch it. And then your hand gets burned. And you say, see, it's hot. You don't just understand that it's hot. The vasana, the impulse to prove it true, is the action. Right? And so um, there's another way that you can think about it. Is, um, like as a soul, uh, you're a pound of butter. I love butter. Right? You're a pound of butter. And as a soul, you, you are a pound of butter. Beautiful, lovely, yellow, crisp lines, completely unblemished. And the samskar, um, if you push your handprint into the pound of butter, 
you get an, uh, an imprint, you get an um, impression. And so then when somebody looks at the pound of butter and you say, what do you see? Few people will say, I see a pound of butter. They will see, say, I see an, a hand imprint. And so that's what people are seeing in you. That's what people are seeing in me. They're not, they don't see the soul. They don't see the pound of butter. They see the imprint that has been identified with. They see the samskara that has been identified with. And they call that you. Oram. Right? Because they're not seeing the pound of butter. They're just seeing the, the imprint of the hand, the shape of the hand. And that's what, because that's what we have identified with, that is the frequency that is coming out into the world. That is what people see. So they're not really seeing you. You don't really see me. I don't really see you. We see the samskaras that the other has identified with. And of course, then you have the vasanas, which is the impulse to prove it true. So what do you see when you see a handprint in anything? What do I do? I want to put my handprint in. I want to put my hand in it to see if I fit. I, my impulse, my, my action is to connect with it and see if it's true to see if I fit, to see if that's true for me. And so that's the vasana. That's what we uh, interact with on that level. When you are starting to work at a yogic level of the level that we are aspiring to in K2D, then you start to understand these pieces of A, B, and C. You start to see in yourself these samskaras, you start to feel in yourself the vasanas, and in the discerning, in the um, in the discerning of seeing these pieces, you start to be able to have enough shakshi or witness to be able to go, yeah, but I don't need to touch the candle. I know the flame is hot. I don't need to go there. I'm going to go find a tap, play with water instead, you know. But when you, when you are ready, when you are prepared, then you meet a being like Swami Satsangi Ji or Swami Narendra Ji or Sri Swami Ji. You meet a guru. And I want to be clear on this, this term guru for a moment in the way that I use it in the way that I would like it to be used within our community. The term guru in India means teacher, means guide. Um, and that in, in India itself, the culture itself, has deep respect for a guide, has deep respect for a teacher. And so this would be called a guru. Um, when we put the word teacher or uh, guide uh, into the Western mind, we hear 
um, suggester so long as it fits within what I want to do. It's a guideline, not a, not a, a, a direct line. It's a guideline. Um, and so there's a cultural disconnect between the definition of guru in India and the definition of guru in the West. So here is what I, how I use the term guru. I do not use the term guru as a teacher. Okay. I do not use the term guru as a guide. I use the term guru as someone who sees the pound of butter first. A guru is a dispeller of darkness. That a guru can see beyond the handprints has no impulse to put their hand into your handprint and prove you right or prove you wrong. They're only interested in seeing the rest of the restoration of that pound of butter being brought back into its pristine before all of the imprints of all the things that you've decided are true. So a guru sees the pound of butter and a guru guides. Now the guru may guide in the term in the way that we use the word guide in that it is not a dogmatic you must do this blah 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 but from the from the sadhak perspective from the student's perspective the guru's guidance are must be ad adhered to because if the if the sincere aspirant uh, if the aspirant of, of if the sincere aspirant of the sadhak of, of the practitioner of the student of yoga is to experience their pound of butter with no handprints and they trust that the guru can see the pound of butter beyond the handprints then the guidance that the guru gives is for you to directly experience the pound of butter beyond the handprints so to do anything other than what you're told is, uh, well, it's ludicrous. It is, it is, you know, just walk away. What's the point? Um, and this is where the, the surrender comes in because the ego has identified that that handprint is who you are so strongly so fiercely that this is the truth that unless there is surrender there is no experience of anything else and so this is how the the role of guru is crucial you know it's like a a, a guru in the in the west is like uh, you want to be a heart surgeon you know you start in general medicine it's great you get a decent overview over over the entire body but you still want to be a heart surgeon you know uh, somebody who does appendixes appendix removals doesn't just you know usher you into the emergency room one day and tell you to have at the had at have at somebody's heart 
first you must study with somebody who has mastered the heart, right? Yes, you may have a general overview, but you must work with somebody who has mastered the thing that you're aspiring to master. And then you must humble yourself to, to learn and to watch and to examine and to then practice and get it wrong and practice again and get it wrong and, and do as you're told. You don't get into open heart surgery with the, the head surgeon and the head surgeon says, put a clamp here and you go, but do we really need to, you know, you put the clamp there. It's literally life and death. You, you have to remove your ego out of the equation and follow the guidance of the heart surgeon so that your interaction with the surgery is a successful one. And yoga and the soul and the guru is open heart surgery on your soul, right? And the guru is the, is the, is the chief surgeon and your ego is the student and your soul is on the table. Um, but all of us, all the ego wants is to truly understand the heart of the soul. But the orientation has to change out of the student doctor, the ego, being their experience being the most important thing. Their experience in the surgery is not the most important thing. If the head surgeon screams at the, stu at the student and says, put the damn clamp on the heart because we're about to lose blood pressure, you know, the, 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 the student doesn't go, please don't speak to me like that. You know, you have to understand that what is being asked is of urgency and it is the same when you are asking the guru to show you how to do an egodectomy, to, to work on the heart, um, or to work on that. If we just stay with one metaphor, Shivani, just stay with one metaphor. Um, to work on the heart, you know, and the guru says, you must do this. And, and this is where the humility comes in and just do that. You know, it literally becomes a no brainer. It, you don't have to think or question because you are where you are because this is where you want to be. So just learn what needs to be learned. And so this comes into another layer of samskaras that I just wanted to touch on today um, of this whole yogic trend of trauma-informed yoga and uh, trauma brain and all of these other um, terms that we kind of throw around. And I've been really sitting with it for a couple of months of like, what is this? Because traumas are, are nothing but identified samskaras. Right? So we've got this whole concept of samskaras and vasanas and we keep trying to push these concepts which these concepts have space and they have ability to evolve and they have space to move in but the western mind seems to keep 
wanting to pigeonhole everything into these terms and this blah, 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 and this certificate and this blah, 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 blah. but it doesn't make any sense because to, to my mind to my to to what I see it is actually doing the reverse of what it is aimed to do in that when our orientation is to a trauma which a trauma is an event that had an impact on your reality that you are no longer able to discern what is truth from reality and you have fully identified with the distortion of those two things as being the truth that this will happen and then you behave in a way that keeps repeating that experience the echoes of that experience right so like you know the trauma of being in a plane crash so then you stop going on a plane right like you behave in ways that is constantly orientated to the trauma your decisions are based on the trauma not decisions are based on who you want to be on who you want to be right and the reality is we all have some scars that have echoes some louder than others in our bodies in our minds in our behaviors that are very challenging to discern and pry apart from truth from reality you know I have I've been watching myself in the last few weeks with equal parts horror and amusement as I've been preparing to, to do this lecture on samskaras on these impressions and on these vasanas and it has occurred to me, it has come very acutely into my awareness of how much um, how much innate uh, traumatic samskaras are just on my peripheral. You know, and and believe I'm not acting on them. I'm watching them. I'm there's a space between the experience and having my impulse of what that experience is, and then the space of going, is it? And then the action based on rational understanding rather than my actual nervous system impulse. And and it's everything. It's um. The kettle will be heating up on the on the stove and as the metal heats up in the kettle it starts to scream right just not not scream loudly just like 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 this little noise but my impulse my my samskara of that type of sound is that an animal's being mauled um, so every time the kettle is heating up I think there's a bear in the yard and, and a sheep is dying because that very and it's funny because the small sounds in 
become the big, the big events, you know, um, uh, Perm Jody will be breathing heavily in his sleep, not snoring even, just breathing heavily in his sleep with like a slight whistle. And in my stupor, I think Narayan is bawling his eyes out. Um, uh, I'll, I'll hear a dirt bike on the, on the, on the back roads. There's an impulse in me that I think somebody's coming up the driveway with a machine gun to shoot us all. I have no idea where these come from. I have no idea what, what, why. And it doesn't matter. I don't care where they come from. It doesn't matter to understand these impulses or why these things keep coming into my mind. What matters is, is that I go, really? No. Not now. Not this time. No. Not this time. I'm not, you don't need to identify with it. When, but you have to understand that these impulses, these are very visceral nervous system responses. The sympathetic nervous system booting in even for half a second is very visceral. And it takes a toll on the body if we keep buying into them. And, and so this is, this is where asana comes in, of unraveling those memories out of the body. This is where pranayam comes in, where balancing the nervous system so that there is space between the experience of the samskara and the action of, or the impulse of the vasana being acted upon. Um, and then, of course, dharana uh, or meditation of the discernment in the mind that there is enough awareness to go, really? Is something wrong in the yard? Or is the kettle boiling? And witness, watch, 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 watch yourself, watch yourself, watch yourself. Because right now, these things are getting unraveled from us at a very, very deep level. But every action that we take is going to go in one direction or the other. One direction of hooking into the samskara and the vasana and proving it correct and creating a reality that protects that ignorance, that samskara, or the action that liberates us from that samskara. There is no in-between right now. Right? There is no in-between. Your actions are either trying to protect the trauma, right? Or it's unraveling from the trauma. And to be able to, to discern the difference in those actions, you need to be able to see the A plus the B to understand how to unravel the C. I hope that makes sense. So, yeah. It's a very interesting time and the, the crucialness of understanding these concepts and keeping these concepts wide, not letting the Western languaging try to funnel them into something 
concrete because in that concreteness, I have trauma brain, I am traumatized, I am this, I have this. All of those are just hooks to keep you there. They're all just hooks to keep you there. And um, if you want to, you can go on to our podcast, which is in the Prasad area of the website. I think it's episode 13. It's um, uh, Speak Up or Shut Up. Is the five stages of using your story and the samskaras of that to uh, liberate through languaging and unraveling and unraveling that. So let's take the T word. What happens if we take the T word out of our vocabulary? Who do we become if there is no T word? And I'm not discounting the experiences and the samskaras that we are currently being asked to see, experience, and unravel from. I am not discounting the process. I am asking what happens if your language does not hook in and identify with the story of the process. So, food for thought. Put your questions in the comments. Uh, we love you very much. Hope everything is uh, calm. And, and and beautiful as we as we birth into uh, coming out of the out of the chrysalis and into the ability to fly. Um, I'll await your comments and uh, yeah, no more that on. Thank you for joining us in our Solace and Shine podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, rate, and share it. We would love to hear what inspired you. And if you have any questions or topics that you would like for us to explore, please leave a note in the comments. Also, if you would like a daily dose of connection and raising of your frequency, join us on We Are, our online community. You can find the link in the podcast description. Follow the link and you will receive two weeks for free. See you soon. And don't forget, soften and expand.